I read from from Psalm 19. Wow, this is really good. Psalm 19, and then we'll go over to. If God has it, we'll go over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. But in Psalm 19, verse one, it says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork." Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals and manifests his knowledge. There's no speech, there's no language where their voice, and without these, where their voice is not heard. Where, where the voice, and just think of it, uh, uh, many have said when they send these, like Hubble, these uh, spacecrafts far out into space, you can hear, you hear certain noises. And when we look at this in Psalm 19 and verse 3, there's no, there's no speech, no language where their, where their voice is not heard. And you remember when Jesus said, if there were certain ones that would not give out and cry out his testimony, he said that even the stones would cry out. And this is what this is revealing. Verse 4 says that their line, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. And obviously, in, in the finality and in the eternity of the scriptures this is definitely revealing christ verse 6 says his song his going is is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it from there is nothing hid from the heat thereof many it's very interesting we would hear in school how a columbus in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And back then they thought that the earth, that if they went so far, they would fall off. If only they had these scriptures, which far, went far back further than 1492, make it very clear that the earth was obviously circular. And uh, how it brings this out here. But when we see that in those first six verses there of Psalm 19, and again, really, it is a picture. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, is, is a picture. And it's bringing out the glory of the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit proceeding from, from both. And this even we can see uh, uh, based upon John, the first chapter, in verse 1 verses 1 through 18. So it's speaking about creation. And so we can wake up. And it was like this morning when I first woke up. It was just like, you know, this is new. It's like we have this new beginning. And I felt that, you know, personally, and I felt like God was speaking that to me 
uh, this morning. That, that Listen, uh, all things are passed away in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Behold, all things are new. And, uh, and that's the sense that I had uh, this morning. And I, I woke up and, and this is this is a day. You know, and many say this, <clears throat> Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. And of course, you know, if we look at that in terms of its isagogic, its, its uh, historical frame of reference, obviously that's going to be future millennial reign with Israel. But we have that now. We have that now. Because, because that day, that day for us is... Second Peter 1 and verse 19, the day that's dawning on us. And so I, I could get up this morning and, and it was like his love for me was like this new fresh, it's a new fresh beginning. And, and uh, you know, and, and for me, not to know myself after the flesh, don't know yourself after your failures and your shortcomings and, and all the projections and lies of, of the atmosphere and the enemy coming against us. So, and he's created all of this. He's literally, all of this is, is, his, is his voice speaking out to us. And he is, he's the God of the, the eternal beginning. It's not like he's, like we've heard like, oh God, you know, many would pray, God, just give me a second chance. God is not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the brand new eternal beginning because Jesus Christ, in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, in Revelations 22 and verse 13. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he is our file leader. And in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, and, and so, and for me this morning, in a new and fresh way, he was making it clear to me, as I believe he wants to make it clear to all of us, is that no, you you can do all things. You can do all things through Christ, which which makes you mighty in Philippians four and verse thirteen. And he has already supplied all of our needs. Our singular need is Christ Himself. And even his creation is revealing that to us. And his faithfulness, the sun comes up and and or at, at night we can look and, and see the stars. I don't know, and we, I think we mentioned it at one particular time. When you get a view, some of these views of space, it, it looks like it's, it's utterly packed and crowded with stars and galaxies, universes. And, uh, but that's his whole creation. And, and, and to think that, this, to, to think this this morning, that God comes into us and he has met us here. here. Here he has met us in this little dust thing. Like we've seen, have you ever seen the Milky Way, which is light years in, in expanse? And here's this little dot called Earth and where he meets us. And yet here's this God in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And he inhabits eternity. I want you to think about that. And since God is, is a creator, and in his creation he uses it, and this is Psalm 19, 1 to 6, he uses his creation to make himself known. He's, he's making himself known. But the way that we know him 
is he, he meets us. And the place that he meets us is we are in his son. And so it was like this new, no, all things are already, they're not in the process of passing away. They already are passed away. And so you get up. And this is a new beginning, which is part of our eternal beginning because we have Christ in 1 John 5.11. He is our eternal life. And so it's an amazing testimony. And and that was his counsel. I, just, I woke up this morning and was like, it's like he, he for, for me, he, he wanted me to know myself in the way that he knows me. And it doesn't change. In, in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. And in Malachi 3, 6, he said, he, he makes it clear, I'm the Lord your God, I don't change. I, I, there's no changing. And so when the enemy comes in, in Isaiah 59, 19, like a flood, flooding us with thoughts and lies and projections and things about us are never going to change and, and know yourself after your failure and, and sins. And, and, and he comes and then he says in Proverbs 24, 21, don't meddle with them that are given to change. Don't meddle. Don't get intertwined. Don't allow your thoughts. My one thought about you in Christ and, and don't allow that truth about who I am toward you personally. Because everything that my son did, he did for, for you personally. He did for each of us personally. We're all members. You know, the body is one in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. But it's made up of many particular members in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. And so he, he wants us not to, get, to, to mix the lies of the enemy with the truth about who Christ is in us. And so you wake up, and what has changed about his love for, for us? Has anything changed? Has he ever changed his mind about his love for us? It hasn't changed one bit. And so then we look at verse 7 in Psalm 19, and it says the doctrine, the teaching of the Lord is perfect, meaning it's complete. His thought about us has to do with who his son is in us and who we are in him, and it's complete. There's nothing that we can take away from that, and there's nothing that is necessary for us to add to that. And that's what the enemy does with his accusations in Revelation 12.10. He wants us to, to take away from truly who we are with this abundant life in John 10.10b, because in 10.10a, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that they might have life, and then to have it together, to have it in a more, much more abundant way, and, and that abundant life that we have, that we can share with each other, is based upon our own personal intimate walk and intimate life that we have with Christ. And this is brought out, again, in Revelations 2 and verse 17. That speaks about our eternity with him and our eternal relationship with him. So it says the teaching, the teaching, the one thought of the Lord is, is perfect, right? is perfect, is complete. We are complete in him. And that's Colossians 2 and verse 10. So the King James says in Colossians 2 and verse 10 that we're complete in him. Yet, this is what the original Greek says. It says that you are filled up in him. <laughs> you are filled up in him. Because in Colossians 2, 9, again, the King James, it says 
he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But the King James, King James falls a little bit short. Falls actually very short in terms of bringing out the full preponderance of God's thought about that verse, because it says that the whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth in His perfect humanity, He was filled up with all of who God is. And that's why in Hebrews 11 verse 6, uh, without faith it's impossible to please him, to experience how pleased he is with us without depending on him. Because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently, quickly seek him because he's there to be found. And so here that the teaching, the one thought of God is Jesus Christ. He's complete. So Colossians 2, 2, 9, the whole time that Christ walked the face of the face, face of the earth, he was filled up with all of who God is. And then Colossians 2, 10 says, and you and I are filled up in him. And what are we filled up with? Where did, where did Jesus bring us back to? When he rose from the dead, what did he do? Positionally, and what we're headed to, what we have now, and what we're headed to is this love life that nothing can disturb or distract. That's the thought he wants us to have. But this is what was brought out to me this morning. It says that the teaching, the one thought of, of, of God, who, who is Lord, who is sovereign, and, and he is sovereign in his love for us in Christ and above everything, above everything, is complete. And his son has completed everything. Again, this springs out in such an incredible way. Propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. We're, he completed everything that was necessary for the Father to give him to us as our substitute whereby we could be reconciled. So this morning, he wanted me to be reconciled. And this is how it happens. This is how it happens. The teaching in Psalm 19, verse 7, the teaching, the one thought of the Lord is, is complete, is filled up. What it says here, converting the soul. And what is it? And what is the Greek, the Hebrew? And, and of course, the Hebrew through the Septuagint brings it over, and we'll see how this works, how, he, how it's brought over into the Greek. But here, the Hebrew word it literally means he restores the soul. And how many times do we need to be restored? In other words, brought back to a, a, a image that nothing can disturb or distract who he's made us to be. It is a restoring, and that's literally what it says. Right? He brings us back. It were perfect. And what? We constantly need to be restored. He restores the soul. And what? Based upon what? That the testimony of the Lord is unshakable and sure. Christ the foundation in Matthew 16, 18, and in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11. This unshakable foundation where we are set in the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. The testimony, the witness, the testimony of the Lord is, is absolutely sure and immovable. What does it do? It brings in the wisdom of God's love to those that are simple. Simple in terms of, of, of what? It's very simple. It's very simple that Christ is everything. He's everything. And then those statutes of the Lord are right. 
rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The reverential awe and fear of this kind of loving Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're truth, what it says in the original. They're truth and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even the, the, the much fine gold, but they're sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. How does he, what does he warn us with? His incredible love and how we are to function in it and to trust him. We're warned, and in keeping of them, there is a great reward. Then, and then here's what it says. Then who can understand his errors? Do I understand anything about it outside of his love and what his love has accomplished? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse you, me, from these secrets or these secret lies from the enemy. Keep back your servant also from presumptuousness and let me and, and let them not have dominion over me. Then will I be upright, stand upright in a proper image. And I will be innocent from the great transgression. And this is what I believe that God was, was speaking to me personally, what he has for me, what he wants for me in this brand, this eternal beginning that we have and that he was bringing into my thought processes this morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And what would that be? We have been accepted in his beloved in Ephesians 1 and verse 6. And O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And it's almost, this is what he had me come right back to in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And this is what I, I believe he personally has for me. And you'll see how this flows. You'll see how before we even get to Ephesians 5 and verse 1, where it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 20, uh, 29, and you'll see how this works with Psalm 19 and verse 14, and how everything about the enemy in terms of his lying presumptions comes against us. It says here in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto those that hear. And that way you, you don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, meaning you don't, you don't grieve him from bringing in the reality of how much God loves us in his son. You won't grieve him from being able to reveal that, to show it to us. And this is John 16, 13, and 14, where he takes the things of Christ constantly and in a restoring, renewing way shows them unto us. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed, mean unto the day of redemption, meaning we're sealed, and a seal is the, is the proof and authority of ownership. We're owned by it. And, and so God, who is love, owns us. And we're not our own, thank God, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And so we don't do until the day of redemption, meaning we have been redeemed already and that we're on our way and 
the stamp of, of it's the stamp of God's approval and satisfaction is the fact that we've been given the Holy Spirit. Because if if Christ hadn't the, the sacrifice of Christ in our place in propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation hadn't been met, then Christ never would have rose from the grave, went up to heaven and sent down the Holy Spirit. So the proof that was is is the proof is is that everything that was necessary for God to remove from us that would keep his love from, from coming in and being the one cause and the beautiful effect has already been dealt with. There's nothing left to do. And so here, this is why then we can let all bitterness, hardness of heart, we see that in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, hardness of heart, and we see this again in Hebrews second chapter and the third chapter, and in Psalm 95, we don't have to, uh, we don't allow the enemy through his lies to harden us so that love that is ours positionally doesn't penetrate into our experience. And so that we can experience in his presence in Psalm 60 and 11, the joy that comes from that, from being loved that way. We let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind. Be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even, even as God for Christ's sake has, that's past tense, already forgiven you. Now this is, this is it in, in chapter 5 and verse 1 because in the original Koine Greek they flow. There's no chapters and verses. There's just a beautiful flow. Be you therefore, because of this, followers. This is where we get our English word imitators. That Greek word. Be you therefore imitators of God as dear children. And what? And walk in love. This is what God has. This is what he was saying to me this morning. I, I, here I am and I want you to walk in my love. I want you to walk in my love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor and, and uh, a sacrificial aroma that goes up to him. He, it's, it's an amazing thing that, that, that God and his love, and this just goes back to John, uh, the first chapter, in, in verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, the Word, the Word with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning of God. And what this, is, what this is bringing out is that God, what He has and what He wants for us is to walk in this love, because that's His desire. God's desire is to love us, and His Son is the one who's dealt with everything in propitiation to become a substitute whereby we can be restored to, a, to our proper place. What is our proper place? We have been reconciled. We have been reconciled because we have been redeemed. We've been bought back. And so because of that, we are reconciled. And what does it mean to be reconciled? That there's nothing in between God and us from us experiencing his peace, his settled peace about all of our sins that have been dealt with in the old being crucified in Romans 6, 1 through 6. So this, in, in this sense too, and we're to have this every day, by the way. And 
And God would have this to be our present reality moment by moment. Moment by moment. That we are walking in a tr an eternal, unending beginning that will never have an end. And we're to walk in it. And we're to, uh, we're to know one another. And, and, and he, he wants me to know myself in his love. God does not know me after my flesh. After, uh, after, and it's almost like it's not even mine anymore. And Romans 8 9 makes that clear. The flesh is in us. It never says your flesh is in you. It says the flesh is in you. You're not of it. We are of Christ. Our whole constitution is Christ. Our whole everything is Christ towards us in a very, very personal way. And you're not to know yourself after that. You're not to allow the enemy to come in like a flood and flood you with the lies that you, you're still guilty. God is still condemning you. And all these things happen to you because of, because of that. fact of the matter is, that standard in Isaiah 59 and verse 19 is Christ himself. And when that standard's lifted up, the enemy has to flee. And that speaks of our submission to him in James 4 and verse 7. We submit. And what are we submitting to? What does God want us to submit it? This, uh, for us to submit ourselves to, to his so great, incredible love for us. It's, in, it's incredible. And so, and I, I'm not to know myself. That's why it says to know no man after the flesh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. That starts with me. You are not to know yourself after the flesh. I don't know you that way anymore. I don't treat you that way. Think about that. God never treats us after that, ever. He doesn't. He doesn't treat me after my past. In, in, in this sense, do I have a past or do I have eternal life? Because the past has to do with time. And everything, and that's what Christ entered into. We talked about that little dust ball, that little dot. To accomplish all of, of what he's accomplished. In terms of even the angelic conflict. But bringing us to to the heights that are that are just unbelievable. So I'm not to know myself after the flesh, and then in that way I will know no man after the flesh. Meaning we, in Christ, what would that be like? If even if we failed and sinned toward one another, that we wouldn't know one another after that. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be? And that would be the result of walking in His love. You know, it's like a, it's like a child that, that's uh, being brought up by godly parents. They want to imitate. They, in this sense, they want to receive that kind of life that's going in them, that eternal life. And they want that. They want that to be, they want to be like their mom and dad. And that's what God wants us to be like. He wants us to be like himself through Christ. That's the only way. And that way, we will not know one another after the flesh. And then even potentially, every human being, we, we, can, uh, we can know them that way. Again, that goes into 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, especially in those. And you'll see how they flow in those first 21 verses. But we, we can know everyone in their potential that way. 
sometimes we have to withdraw from evil some and we can't fellowship with evil but we can certainly we can certainly still trust god and and his love for them because he's not willing in in ezekiel 18 and verse 23 and in second peter 3 and verse 9 he's not willing that any man should perish meaning live without him without experiencing his so great love so that's what i got this morning uh, from him that's the one word i i'm going i want to continue to keep you and to restore you and to renew and restore your soul again in the reality of my love this is to be on a continual basis so those are my thoughts this morning and my my personal thoughts uh you know were his thoughts obviously uh towards me and how we're to think that way and to function in that way towards each other because that's the truth and uh thankfully that we're thankful that we can be restored constantly my soul because otherwise in psalm 119 25 we cling to the dust that dust and that's the physical bodies and we make everything to be about that and uh, we need this constant uh restoring and bringing it and what does it mean to be restored brought back to a present an eternal reality of what his love has made us to be and everything that the enemy uses to come against us in that becomes just an opportunity for god to reveal that to us so amen <laughs>